0: there's a balance in there somewhere you know you've got to have a plan and you've got to have a sort of you know I guess a goal and a mission and and a a direction of travel that you want to go down and there's a recognition of you know some of the things you're going to do to increase the likelihood of you being successful but once you've sort of got that in place then it's just a case of right we've we've got to go screw it just do it you know let's let's do it get on with it.
1: If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you've ever thought of hosting your own show, then I've now put together a bunch of different options for you, whether you are a solopreneur or a big brand and you both want to have your own podcast. I've now got a course Called ultimate podcast mastery i've got coaching programs alex's inner circle and i've got an agency podpreneur that creates done for you podcasts so if you would like to create launch and grow your own show with no experience no knowledge and no tech skills then simply go to ultimate podcast that's ultimate podcast You're listening to episode 308 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my guest this week is Ian Holdcroft, founder of Shackleton back in 2016, the British luxury performance wear specialist and pioneers in the luxury space. Named Brand of Tomorrow by Walpole, the British Luxury Brands Association. And since then, their brand has gone from strength to strength in a short period of time, developing expedition-grade apparel, combining high performance with supreme refinement and style. Their endurance Parker recently awarded Best Winter Jacket 2020, beating big brands like the North Face, Patagonia, and Canada Goose. Now, this is one of those conversations that could have gone on for hours and hours and hours. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed speaking to Ian. I felt we really hit it off. And I think that always comes across really well in a podcast episode when you've literally just got our voices between your ears. Uh, Love the fact that, Ian knew he wanted to build something with a bedrock of real substance and realised that at its core, the purpose of their business should be to inspire people to live more courageous lives. So during this episode, we talk about a bunch of things as you'd expect us to do so. About building a business from an idea and connecting the past, the present and the future. About combating the paralysis of decision making. Remembering the 40-70 rule. Something I didn't know. If you get to 40% confirmation, start. Don't wait to reach 70% confirmation. Because by then, it's too late. And what's important with branding is that it's customer focus. Giving the opportunity to your consumer to experience exactly what you are saying. Talked about a million other things in between, but I think you're really going to enjoy this. So without further ado, screw it, just do it, Ian Holdcroft. This year, I've more than ever... um kind of push the boundaries really of, of, of my own life physically and mentally and find out what what i can achieve and again, uh, get all these messages you. from friends going you know is this a midlife crisis why don't you just go and buy a ferrari or a motorbike like everybody else alex when you when you're coming out to to 15 i've done like my first marathon you know Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. The sea every morning um which is painful at the moment but you just kind of file it away in the part of your brain, um, but all those yeah. kinds of things that I've, I've really enjoyed um, pushing myself really. So I was, I was really interested in parts of your
0: story and um, sure. what you've Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I mean, oh, Brilliant. Good for you. That, that's just fantastic. And um, yeah, so I'm happy to, you know, talk about that type of stuff. And, you know, it's how I try to, you know, live my life every day, trying to sort of, you know, conscientiously almost make the effort to to grow and develop and learn and be a better version of myself and, you know, mm. try and um, I guess live conscientiously and um, seek challenges and the path of most resistance, not least resistance. And I think that society sort of conditions everybody to, um, I guess, be the thing that other people think you should be or do the thing that society thinks you should do at certain stages of your life. Like this idea of midlife crisis. Yeah. I, I, I can't stand the term. It's like, Me too. It's like, that's effectively saying that once you get to a certain age, which is, I don't know, for argument's sake, 40 to 50, mm. if you do anything that warrants like change in your life, i.e. getting up early and jumping in the sea or running a marathon, people start to attach that with like, you having some sort of crisis. It's like, yeah. actually, it's sort of the opposite. It's like, you know, I'm sort of reawakening, I'm, I'm sort of excited about living and, and doing yeah. something different. And I think that people are so scared of change and are so stuck in this. When I get to a certain age, I have to settle down and then I have to buy a house and I have to get married and then I have to get a promotion, all that type of stuff. But, you know, I think what we've learned certainly in the last nine months, for instance, to a certain extent, is that, actually you know people just do want to live different lives people want to sort of find things and and you know you see whether that be through you know consumption habits whether that be through fitness and health and well-being and all that type of stuff you know these actually are parts of the economy that are growing significantly in the last 9 months because there is a, a genuine appetite for that it's just that people have now had the time to really think about the li- life that they want to live what is their authentic self yeah. that's who they want to be. And so mm. jumping in the sea, you know, at 7am or whatever it is you do is now you, that's what you do. Yeah. You know, that, that's yeah, yeah, become yeah. a part of you, you know, and that's, that, you know, and so anyway, I think that's great. Good for you. So happy to talk about that sort of stuff. We are, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, no, it's funny. I literally had a comment yesterday from my, um, uh, father-in-law came around and, and, and again yeah kind of get up at you know five forty-five. um you know do, do a few bits and pieces to, to start my day and then exactly what you say it's like 7 a.m um that we we, we we go in the sea you know little group of friends that do that and it's it's funny just like the comedy is like well why don't you have a lion you know why, why do you want to get yeah. a warm? Yeah. you know why, why do you want to get a bed and it's just like yeah. because i i deliberately you know don't want to do that because that's the easy yes. thing to do and, and and the last i would say 18 months to two years for me i did this thing called 75 hard which somebody now bought me that bought me the sweatshirt for which which was exactly that taking the past the path of most resistance yeah simply because uh you, you know many reasons but you know when you you kind of feel uncomfortable and you you feel that fear and you, you don't want to do it. That's the very reason why you should push through and do that thing.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, when you have children, is that you, you see this thing that you've, you know, played a part in creating and that, you know, the, the, the they it's almost as a parent it's your job to sort of get out of their way you know it is your absolute job to keep them alive and feed them and shelter them and love them and nurture them but you know i I think back to my own sort of childhood and upbringing and that i think that most of the time um there was always people in my way whether that be my dad or teachers or friends and saying don't do this do that don't go here go there and that type stuff and what you end up doing is you sort of come through and you come into adulthood and you've been totally conditioned to, to be the thing that other people want you to be and think the way that other people think you should think and all that type of stuff. And I think that what's interesting when, um, if you look at what my children go through now, because they're young, you know, 7, 9, 11, and that I think I try and spend some time just to step aside let them feel their way into it. Now, of course, obviously, I'm there to support them and guide them, and you know, talk about you know things, you know, right and wrong, and all that type of stuff. Mm. But actually, I just want them to feel their way into life. You know, what what a, what 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 sort of person do they want to be? And I think that's just really important. And so, when you hear comments like, "Well, you know, why do you want to do that? Just going to have a lie in," or a bit like, for instance, when I rode the Atlantic, and um, I didn't want to tell my father that I was going to do it because, I mean, I don't, I mean, my relationship with him is fine, but I, I might talk to him once every two months or whatever. And I thought, well, he might not even know I'm away anyway. Yeah. But my wife has said, well, you're going to be away over Christmas. There's every chance he might ring up over Christmas to wish you a happy Christmas. And if I say to him somewhere in the Atlantic, then it's going to be quite a shock. And so <laughs> I remember I said, okay, fine. Look, you know, if it just, if it's best, you know, if it's, you know, if it's more, I guess not convenient, but if it's, it, if it, If it doesn't create that awkward moment, then I'll 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 speak to him. And so, I told him that I was going to row the Atlantic. And um, the first question was, "What do you want to do that for?" Exactly. That that was the exact reason why I didn't want to tell him because it was kind of getting in my way it's like it's not like a physical kind of getting in your way it's just a sort of it just undermines your sort of you know your desire to want to do something so if someone's saying to you for instance well just have a lie in it's like, well no that's not what no, yeah. i want to jump in the sea you know because it's you know it it may you know do interesting things interesting things will happen to you and all that type of stuff so um anyway so um
1: yeah yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, it's it- and I, I read something earlier this year, and I can't remember the exact figures, but it was what you were talking about earlier with, with your kids growing up, and my kids are not a dissimilar age, 11 and 13, um, and it was like how many no's or don'ts, you know, how many negative um commands, I suppose, that they get from the age of zero up to 18 or something. And it's like astronomical. And you just think, how does anybody ever actually succeed in doing anything out of the ordinary instead of doing the, you know, well-trodden path of, you know, 18 years, get your GCSEs, get your A-levels, go to university, get a safe job in the, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just thought, you know, and and, and for me, I then see, like the spark in one of my children probably my my eldest more is more of a kind of free spirit and will just do things you know that aren't planned and you just think it's amazing that you've actually come through that because you hear and again I'd like hear the grandparents say you know don't, don't run too fast don't don't climb that tree and you just think how does anybody actually ever do anything yeah.
0: extraordinary yeah well I think that's interesting because I think what tends to happen as as a as an adult um so i think one tends to find oneself imposing your own fears and your own limitations yeah. and your own concerns on onto your children or onto other people let's say They're not not just children i think that actually um it, it's quite often we're sort of teaching them fear uh, we're mm-hmm. teaching them and and paralysis of decision making and i think that um one of, one of my favorite quotes um Theodore Roosevelt in 1912. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's quite a well-known quote, but it's, um, credit belongs to the man in the arena. Probably in this day and age, credit belongs to the person in the arena. It's not the critic that counts. And it's this idea that and it's so relevant today because of social media that the world is full of critics. You know, there's a critic in all of us, let's be honest. But the world is full of critics who will sit and observe and point out how they would have done it differently, or they'll point out how the other person's failed or, you know, laugh at them when they've stumbled or whatever it might be. And it creates this paralysis because people don't want to be laughed at. People don't want to be criticised. And so people don't do things. And I think that actually the spirit of this quote, which is absolutely brilliant, is um. Doing something, whether you succeed or fail, fail doesn't matter. It's the doing that is the success. Yes. And so even if you do fail, at least you've experienced what 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 failure is, and you can learn from that, and you can develop, and you can grow. And so don't worry, don't listen to the noise of people passing judgment and passing comments. Uh, and the final line in the passage is, um, you know, even if you try time and time again, and you continually fail, at least you will not be with those cold and timid souls that mm. ne- that experienced success or defeat because they mm. just observed and criticized and i think that you know i think i've tr- sort of try and live my life like that a little bit and like to think that i try and sort of you know let my children sort of you know encourage them to like just give things a try yeah it doesn't yeah. matter if you fail don't worry like it just try because you'll you just because it builds resilience and all that type of stuff you know which is really important and so i think that's um Yeah, I think that's just um, quite an interesting way to sort of, I sometimes check myself if I'm maybe passing judgment on others. I think, okay, well, am I prepared to do that? You know, am I prepared to make that tough decision? Am I prepared to do that thing that runs a real risk of failing? Because if I'm not, then who am I to point out how I would do it differently? Because the way I would do it differently is by doing it and actually Mm. demonstrating to myself that I'm prepared to do it. And I think that... I think that's really important, you know, I think it's, I think that's the thing that we sort of tend to do as, as a society, is I think we tend to have this, I, I don't know, it's almost like this, we feel like responsible to be continually going around telling people, you know, like how they should live their lives and, you know, and, 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 and defining success and failure. And you know, you know, failure is not final and, you know, sorry, you know, failure is not fatal and success, success is not final either. You know, yeah, they, the yeah. two can coexist in your life, you know? And so, um, no, I t- t- totally
1: agree with that. And it's, I mean, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it's uh, the, the hardest part is actually starting and doing something, isn't it? Be that starting yes. a business, be that training, to run a marathon or or yeah. row across the Atlantic, and and for most people, and you see it with your kids again. With just like, um, what was I doing? Um, I want to, I want to play tennis. Great, let's sign you up for. Um, you know, tennis lessons with with a group. I just want to play with you, daddy. You can teach me. And I was like, I can only take you so far. Anything else in life, you need a coach to get you. And it's just like that whole, you see the whole fear come back and that, what what, what if I look stupid? You know, what if I hit the ball? What about the other kids? What do they think about me? And it's just like, oh my God, here we go. Like, it's really tough to kind of get your kids out of that, you know, mindset because I think it, it, it is that inbuilt fear that's been compounded over time and and like you say you know failure isn't fatal it, it it's it's part of the journey isn't it you know we've i've probably experienced you know more, more failures and successes but it gets you to where you ultimately are yeah. right here right now
0: yeah i mean I, yeah absolutely that's very interesting i think if we, i connect sort of my thinking around that you know with shackleton um you know you know my my business and, and brand and it's very much about you know 100 years ago Shackleton was you know a modern day pioneer you know he was taking huge risks huge risks he was trying to do something that nobody at that time had ever achieved and so you know what how, what does that mean today what is what is you know what would Shackleton be doing today if he was alive would he be trying to get to the south pole or cross Antarctica if, Well, of course he wouldn't because that's been done you know and so mm-hmm. you know what would his mission be and i think you know he'd be I don't know, I think he'd be trying to do something that hadn't been done, whether that be, you know, get the first human being to Mars or, you know, yeah. map ma- the Marianas Trench or solve some of the world's problems, you know, whatever it might be. And I think as, as a brand, what we try and do is connect, I guess, those values that he had a hundred years ago as an incredible leader um, and a huge risk taker and a very, very courageous and optimistic guy. And what does that mean in, in modern society? Because... And what does Modern Pioneers mean as well? You know, it's, it's scientists, it's, you know, medics, it's, you know, humanitarian disaster relief workers. And it's kind of all those people that are doing real work to kind of move the game on for everybody else. And I think that that's what we try it, it, as a brand, I think, to, to get into people's minds, our audience's minds, that actually that's what we represent. That's what he represented, Shackles in the Man. That's what we represent as a brand. And there's that's in you as well. You know, it's just a case you've got to find a way of, I guess, harnessing that in your daily life and decision making around the things that you do. And so, Mm. and I think this idea about, you know, taking that first step—whether it's a child wanting to learn to play tennis or learn to play the piano, or I don't know, you know, whatever it might be—you know, abseil, you know, down a, you know, off a off a cliff or something like that—I think that um, if if you wait for perfection, if you wait until the stars align it's sort of too late, you know, because yeah. the opportunity is gone. And Colin Powell you know, has this, uh, what he calls the 40-70 rule, which is once you've got 40% of the information you think you need to make a decision, don't wait until you've got 70%, because by then, you know, if you if you continue to wait for reassurance and for the right moment, you probably will never actually get around to doing it. And so mm. somewhere between 40 and 70%, that's the moment to say, right, I I've got it, I've now gotta have the courage to make that first step. And it's gonna be uncomfortable. But once you've made that first step, then the second step becomes a little bit easier. And then you start to feel you know, start to get, you know, what does this feel like to me? And, and am, am I on the right journey? And and I think not to necessarily quote, you know, famous people, but Steve Jobs did a great um, speech. I think it was to Stanford University many years ago. And he talked about, I think it was to graduates, and he was talking about how. You know, you're going to face moments in your life where you have to make decisions, and the the fear, the the, the uncertainty of what that decision will lead to, can prevent you from actually making that decision. You just mm. you just freeze, you stop. But he had this sort of um, I can't remember what the over well, I, I remember what the overriding message was, but I can't remember exactly how he delivered it. But his point was, you'll get to a certain point in life, and you'll turn around, and you'll be able to see all these stepping stones, yeah, all these moments in your life. Where you've made that step, and it will all makes sense to you. Then that's like
1: the joy in the dots, isn't it? When you yeah. when you look back, it's only yeah. only yeah. makes sense when you look back. You can exactly. Yeah, of I but yeah,
0: you don't yeah. know it at that time. Uh-uh. So, no. right? but, but because you don't know it at that time, it stops you from doing it because you don't. This doesn't make sense. Like mm-hmm. this is risky or dangerous or uncomfortable or you know, is it right? Is it wrong? And is A best and better decision than B? But actually you know, starting that journey and going on it. And then it slowly starts to make sense, especially if you can look back. And I think, you know, the recognition that mistakes will be made along the way and you will fail and you will hit some tough times and you might have to backtrack even or take a side step. It's not yeah. always going to be forward progress. And I think that, you know, but taking that first step is just super crucial um, and you sort of have to do it. And it's, I guess, courage of your own convictions, really. And I think Mm. That 40s, so um, my business partner um, Martin Brooks, you know, who we I co-founded Shackleton with, you know, he he often refers to that Colin Powell 40 70 rule uh, formula when we when we're wrestling with big decisions. I say, didn't well, know that one. Yeah, it's like, well, you should look it up. It's quite interesting. It's about, I mean, I'm sure it probably applies to things like, you know much more significant moments like around international diplomacy and <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know the, 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 yeah. you know whether you go with the blue jumper or the black jumper. But um, mm. I think what's interesting is that, that idea that nothing's ever going to be perfect, you know, and so you've got you've got to make a decision when you think you've just about got enough information to make a reasonable judgment. Mm. Combine that with your gut instinct and if your cut it, gut instinct and your reasonable judgment are aligned, but you've only got 50% of the information, then just go with it. Just do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I always kind of refer
1: back to um, Pareto's law, which is that 80-20 rule, isn't it? Whereas yeah. that, I, I prefer that one. i curling right. up. <laughs> <laughs> I've just seen so many times, like the, the previous four or five years, I was working with um, as a delivery partner with um, Virgin Startups, so Richard Branson's not-for-profit. And um, yeah. you just saw it was something insane, like 95% of people who'd apply to you know, start a business, wouldn't even submit the business plan. And it was interesting. I almost wondered whether it was uh, a a trial by sending out a business plan that had so many pages in it that people would literally just look at it and and admit failure straight away. And I'll just let you know, if you read, you know, Richard's biography, literally on the back of a napkin, with with the idea for virgin records etc um and i kind of always thought is is that him just like you know planting an obstacle in people's minds to 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 get through because he just saw so many people looked at it and go what you know 76 pages to, to, to write a business plan and of course we all know you know you don't need something of 76 pages to actually get going and make some money from something um yes, you, you need to put, you know work on a document that's going to see you through a three-, five-, ten-year plan, but to get going, you don't need that at all. No.
0: No, absolutely. I think... Um... Well, there you go. I guess that's a good example, certainly in the context of you know a business or establishing a business, is that you know you, you you do so much thinking and all that amount of work, and you're trying to think through every scenario, and you're trying to think through well, if we did this, then what would happen over here, and all that type of stuff. And you know, if you just sit there thinking about it, you, you end up creating so many reasons to not do it, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and to not get started. And I think that um, you know it's. It's interesting, you know, because, you know, the, the sort of the journey that we've been on with, with Shackleton. And I, I guess in some sense, um, and it's clearly not by coincidence, but in some sense, you know, we have the benefit of, um, you know, the, the sort of the Shackleton, the man and everything that he achieves and everything, all the great quotes that he said. So, for instance, you know, one that we have up on the side of our store is difficulties are just things to overcome after all. You know, it's this idea that when we face a difficult moment as a business, you know, we think well. You know, we've got we've got the boss looking over our shoulder, kind yeah. of spiritually saying to us, you know, it's just it's just it's just there to overcome. You know, you've got to mm. find a way of overcoming it. And you know, we've had some extremely challenging times as, as you would no doubt, um, you know, kind of uh, have heard many times before from lots of other people, but. It, the point I'm making here is you, you you can't write that into a business plan. We couldn't no, write that exactly. it into a business plan four years ago. And so, you know, in 2020, this is going to happen. How are we going to deal with it? We, we had no idea, you know, and no, so, no, no. you know, and so you can't. So, um, yeah, there's a balance in there somewhere. You know, you've got to have a plan and you've got to have a sort of, you know, a, a, I guess a goal and a mission and, and a, a direction of travel that you want to go down and you, there's a recognition of, you know, some of the things you're going to do to increase the likelihood of you being successful. But once you've sort of got that in place, then it's just a case of, right, we've, we've got to go. Screw it, just do it, you know, let's, yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's get on with
1: it. Um, and, and interestingly, you mentioned... Uh, little while ago uh, business and brand in, in the same in the same sentence for you what's your perception of that with with your business and your brand which, which came first i only asked this because it's just been had a whole bunch of really interesting discussions with like lush founder ruina bird piers Lenny from dragon's den um lord billamoria from cobra beer we had all these discussions about two weeks ago um so in, interested to know with yourselves what what came first
0: business or brand yeah, good question. Um, brand, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, reason being that if we were trying to build a business, for instance, say called called Holcroft and Brooks, you know, my surname Holcroft and my 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 uh, co founding partner's surname Brooks, then I think that even if the business and the brand idea was identical to what it is with Shackleton, I think. It would have been, Mm. it's a good question, I think. So therefore, Shackleton, in some sense, is a brand that existed before Shackleton, the the brand, the business. And so, you know, there was a brand around the man himself. And so... Um, and therefore, what 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 was it about him that was so precious? I guess, and that we as a as a business had to sort of tap into and then project through our own sort of brand thinking and how we wanted to communicate that to the world. And so, our, our sort of decision making day to day always starts really with brand. It always mm-hmm. starts with what is the right thing to do. You know, well, you know, building. I don't know these sort of. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a brand or a marketeer by training or anything like that. I understand it and I get it as both a consumer and obviously as a, you know, as a, as a, you know, a founder of a, of a of a brand and as a business. But, you know, but you know, so lots of words get banded around, but there is there is a lot to be said about building, I guess, equity and value um, through how you think, how you behave how you project that to your audience in everything that you do. And then that starts to then inform some of the business thinking around, well, how does that inform, say, recruitment policy? What type of people do we want to work for our business? You know, we need to make sure they're aligned with that as well, yeah. with that position. What type of culture do we want to create? Um, what type of product do we want to sell? What type of service do we want to offer? What's our approach to customer services? You know, what's our approach to day-to-day challenges and decision making? And then all of a sudden, I think what then starts to happen is I mean, you just purely look at business and maybe a set of numbers on a piece of paper or a business plan or whatever it might be, that actually the brand thinking and putting the brand first starts to make that. Not easier to do because it's still obviously very challenging, but you start to then make business decisions based on what the right thing to do is yeah, yeah, yeah. for the brand yeah. and our long and our long term mission, let's say. And so, I think whereas if it's the other way around, which a lot of businesses do do, especially startups, is they start with a good product idea or a good service, and then as they start to build the business and they get traction and they start to get some credibility and people start to buy the product and buy the service, you get positive feedback, and all of a sudden you buy more, you sell more, and that type of stuff, you then probably start to think about, oh, we need a brand here. We need a backstory, yeah, yeah. We need we need, we need, we need to tell the world what we're about and, you know, what our purpose is and our meaning and what we represent. And so mm. I can see where – so I guess there's no right or wrong technique, no, I guess it's just, great. you know – but I think the two at some point do have to be in lockstep with each other. Yeah. You can't really grow a successful business um if there is a misalignment between brand and business. The two absolutely have to settle together. There'll always be friction points, clearly, and and, and certain gaps. But um uh, yeah, it's um but it's interesting for us because I say, you know, we have this sort of great leader looking over our shoulder. Yeah. Um, yeah. A picture of him up on the wall, you know, in the office and, and now actually in our store and on the King's Road in Chelsea. And so it's a sort of almost a data reminder of like, you know, sometimes we do sit around and say, Well, what would Shackleton do, you know, in this moment? You know, <laughs> you know, almost to try and tap into sort of you know his mindset. which um, is good fun, you know, it's good to do.
1: No, I, I like that compared to, for example, um, Chatting to Jamie Jamie Lang and and Ed Williams from Candy Kittens, and and there's like that our ideal customer is is Chloe from Clapham, who's 24 24 years old, works for a PR company. She's watching this movie, she's reading this book. You listen to this podcast, but I I, I prefer the um, the Shackleton (laughs) idea compared to Chloe
0: from Clapham. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a good point. I mean, clearly we have to have, you know, an understanding of who our target audience is, you know, because you sort of have to, or they want you to to make things more efficient in terms of, you know, your spend on marketing and that type of stuff. But we we tend to think uh, as sort of our target audience is more of a mindset, you know, more of a, you know, we are for people that think a certain way and Mm -hmm. want to live their life a certain way, as opposed to fitting into a, Chloe from Clapham or, you know, John from Hackney or whatever it might be, you know. And so we do have sort of audiences and and cohorts and sort of, you know, kind of that we do sort of segment out in terms of, you know, age and background and lifestyle and location and all that type of stuff. Because there's a lot to be said about where somebody lives and the things they do. This has a lot about who they are. So, Mm. um, but that's also a bit dangerous as well because especially in you know in this day and age you know people live much more fluid lives you know yeah. and so up until probably maybe the 2007 2008 sort of credit and sovereign debt crisis i think that there was a there was it was unusual back then for instance to meet a lawyer uh, or an accountant that had sleeve tattoos mm. you know if you had sleeve yeah. tattoos you had yeah. to be in the creative industry you had to be in you know you had to be a designer or a you know, or whatever it might be. But now actually those two things are slowly started to merge. And Mm -hmm. people don't really wear pinstripe suits anymore. You know, they wear jeans and a shirt. And so everyone lives life sort of differently. And and I think actually everyone has an opportunity to be more authentic now because they're not being judged. You know, like, you know, if if, if you went to see a, you know, you know a lawyer for instance 15 years ago that had a tattoo on the neck or something like that then you know you you, you, but it's just not that unusual anymore you know people accept that's normal you know that's just representation of who they are it doesn't mean they're a bad lawyer because they've got a tattoo much in the same way as you know someone who doesn't have tattoos or piercings who's a graphic designer doesn't mean they're not a talented designer you know it's yeah i think people now just more accepting of kind of that being the sort of yeah, and and this probably cool. more
1: more so twenty twenty than any other year because everybody's literally seen what's going on in the background behind them and where they where they live and what they're wearing. They might not be, <laughs> you know, they might have the shirt on here, but it might be the pajamas and the um, yes, yeah, the yeah. animal slippers uh, going on in the background. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's <laughs> and, interesting and
1: he, because. Sorry, go on. No, no, go on, Karen, go on, go
0: on. No, but that that sort of thinking as well is, and I think. Um, and I'm only going to just talk about this particular other brand, um, Rafa, for instance, that uh, you're probably familiar with, and, and they did rather successfully in cycling, is that back before Rafa existed, you know, people would jump on a bike in the morning to commute into, you know, their place of work and they'd be in a flappy yellow jacket and, you know, nasty lycra shorts and then they'd have a shower and get changed into their work. But, you know, they created sort of, clothing for the cyclist whether that be somebody who's going to cycle around the surrey hills on a sunday morning or somebody that's going to cycle in and out of soho for instance you know to their agency but they created a clothing that looked as good on the bike and performed on the bike but you could turn up to a meeting you wouldn't need to get changed and people are now so much more versed in that you know going to a meeting and seeing somebody in sports kit you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and not being judged for it, you know, mm. and not being go. you know, why aren't you in a shirt and tie type thing, you know, and people are starting to sort of understand that, you know, just because of what you wear doesn't act, shouldn't really undermine. I mean, it can do, but it shouldn't really undermine your talent at something, you know, and so, um but um, anyway, so there you go.
1: Yeah. And, and interesting to know how, going to ask you a question about, the reason behind the business and and you and martin meeting but um just just thought on the last point there how much has your like target demographic your ideal customer changed in what six years over six years now
0: yeah so so i talk a little bit about how we met and how we got started and that yeah yeah yeah, Um,
1: let us know and what you were doing beforehand what what made you you know. Take, yeah, take that yeah. leap and literally go, screw it, just do it. We're gonna start business together.
0: Sure. Yeah, okay. No, great. And, and and this by the way is a true story. It's not a convenient well, it's a very convenient backstory, but um <laughs> it's um yeah, so I um so I met Martin in um oh I think Hang on, let me just work this out. i just come back from running across the car So it was 2011. It must have been early 20, earliest 2011. And I was on a family holiday in Greece. Um, I had two children at the time. Um, the third one hadn't arrived. And um, I was sitting by the swimming pool. And I was actually reading Randolph Fiennes' book, Race to the Pole, which was you know about Scott and Amundsen you know, trying to be the first to the South Pole, which Shackleton had tried to be. Two years earlier, with his Nimrod expedition, so effectively there was a kind of like a race between Scott Shackleton and Amundsen. But it just so happened that in 1911 um, and and early 12, it was you know Scott versus Amundsen. And um, this guy walked past, and um, he said, "I'm more of a Shackleton man myself." And so we we got chatting, and as often as a case, sometimes you're on holiday, you find out the person you're chatting to on a Greek island a thousand miles away lives half a mile down the road, and so. I I lived in Putney, still do. He then lived in Wimbledon, doesn't anymore. He moved out to Sussex uh, a few years ago. Um, And um, anyway, he he was staying in a a sort of accommodation close by and we bumped into each other a few times. And he had three kids then, similar age um, to to mine. And so they started to play a little bit in the pool and things. He was an ad guy. So he he'd had a career in marketing and advertising and very successfully had built some agencies and sold them. And at the time he was founder and CEO of a digital marketing agency um, called Work Club, um, who were based in uh, Borough Market, London Bridge area. And um, one of his heroes, Shackleton, and um, oh, nice. he's a sailor, uh, Martin. Um, yeah. Sailed across the Atlantic. He'd been down to Antarctica. And anyway, we talked, you know, passionately about, you know, Polar Exploration and Shackleton and, you know, Scott and Amundsen and all those all those guys. And over the course probably of about three years, uh, at the time I was working in the city, um, and I'd sort of, you know, I, I kind of, I enjoyed my time there, but I was never really a city guy as such. So I never, I always felt a little bit uncomfortable with that world and that environment and culture, or I did it for the best part of 13 years. And so... But I was um, I was a member of the Royal Geographical Society, and I would often go on Monday evenings to their Monday evening lecture, um, and it was. People talking about the, this, you know, the amazing things they'd done, the amazing things they'd seen, and where they'd been to, and and I'd often sit there and think, why, why, you know, this, why, why don't, why don't I, why am I not there talking about these things? And you know, and then you start to sort of think, you start to justify and say, well, you know, I'm married, I've got young children, I've got a mortgage, you know, I work in the city, I do all those things. But at that mm. time, I was also very passionate about the outdoors and adventure, and I was doing a lot of desert desert marathons and mountain marathons and. You know, I was always looking for the, the next challenge. And um, I thought, actually, I've, I've got to find a way of, you know, kind of my, you know, aligning my passion with with my career, with my future and, and the way I live my life day to day, as opposed to just it fitting in around my sort of, you know, work schedule and home life. Anyway, so Martin and I just built up a relationship. And then in about 2015, I think it was, um, he was um, on the verge of selling um, him and his... Um, um, colleagues selling, uh, his, their business to have us who are a big French ad agency. Mm. And, um, he was looking for the next thing. And he, I think he, at the time he thought maybe he would, you know, have three or four little things on the go, um, you know, be an advisor over here or a non-exec director over there. And, but he'd always had this kind of burning ambition, I think to build, have his own brand, be on the, the brand side rather than the agency side. And so, over the course of um, you know some beers and you know meeting up on you know Tuesday nights in um, where do we used to meet? Um, oh, I can't think what the name of the road is, but anyway, sort of Southfields uh, area uh, in southwest London, and. Um, so I developed it from there, really, and there was there was a guy called Simon Middleton who, at the time, was based in Norfolk, who um, had set up a banjo making business called the Great British Banjo Company, and um, I'd heard him talk at the RGS actually about British manufacturing. Uh, he was with Will Butler Adams, who's the CEO of Brompton Bikes, the folded bikes, and they were talking about British manufacturing, and so. I approached Simon and I said, "Look, I think this is a fantastic idea. I really like it." And he was thinking of turning the the company name to Shackleton uh, because there was a story um, in, in in the Endurance expedition where when when Shackleton lost their ship, the Endurance, it got crushed in the pack ice in the Weddell Sea mm. and, and sunk that he basically said, look, the only thing we can take with us are the things that we're going to use for survival. So any food supplies and anything else we need, you know, all personal belongings, we're just, you know, we're going to leave on the ice. You know, we can't afford to, you know, we need survival as our only option here and the only thing that we can focus on. But we'll keep the, the banjo because it'll be vital mental medicine. Mm-hmm. And so I guess he had visions of sat around on a on an iceberg, <laughs> yeah. you know, in minus 25 degrees, playing the banjo and, and, and singing a few tunes. And so... Mm-hmm. Anyway, so 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 this guy Simon was thinking of calling um, the first banjo off the production line um, the Shackleton I, I, after that, and so anyway, long story short, and so um, we um, we sort of took over this sort of business, and Simon is no longer involved at all, and so we sort of launched it as um, as Shackleton, and then we. We were in the process of talking to the family, um, so Alexandra Shackleton, who's Sir Shackleton's granddaughter, because we wanted, even though legally the, there was nothing really stopping us from doing it, but we wanted, I guess, their spiritual blessing that it was okay to do it, and, yeah. and we got that, and which is nice. fantastic. And she's, you know, she's great. She lives in West London. I see her maybe once every you know month or two. Um, she's not involved with the business at all, but it's it's good to sort of just it's a connection you know, to the boss, yeah. basically, you yeah. know. And so, That's a it, it, yeah, it's a real import, really important for us. And then we went about, so now from a legal point of view and sort of thinking about, you know, business planning, you know, we went about securing the intellectual property rights of the name Shackleton across multiple asset classes, not just in clothing and not just in the UK, so right. countries around the world. So we invested heavily in that. And mm. actually for a number of reasons, one that we always sensed that, you know, if we were going to build a brand, it had to be something more than just clothing and what else could it be? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the time we didn't necessarily know. And so we said, no. well, you know, could it be eyewear? Could it be luggage? Could it be yachts? Could it be rockets? Could it be cars and all that? Could it be boats? You know, could it be, I don't know, tents, whatever it might be. And so we said, well, let's get all that secured. Then at least we're safe. And then mm-hmm. but what it also enables us to do is, you know, talk about brand partnerships and collaborations and all that type of stuff. And so we were sort of future proofing the business, even though we hadn't really got the business off the ground. Um, and so you know, there was a lot of sensible decision making back then about and what was quite unusual talking to lawyers, you know, lawyers would often say to us, you sort of doing it the wrong way around, you know, you sort of most people that we deal with with IP issues have got a business, you know yeah, selling, yeah. Products and selling services, and then they think about you know IP and securing it and all that type of stuff, or you know, let's go to America, right? What do we need to do from a legal point of view to enable us mm. to do that? So what you guys seem to be doing is doing all that first without really a business. <laughs> and um, and I think it's because we just had this great sense that actually, you know, this idea, this this sort of opportunity, which we didn't quite know what it was going to be at that time, was was bigger than us, bigger than whatever the business was going to be. And we just had to look after that and protect it. And so... Mm. And so we and so we did that. And so that was probably around about, top of my head, must have been 2015, 2016-ish, went through that process. But it's never-ending. I mean, crikey. I, just, I think really? every day I'm, there's an issue relating to IP or whatever it might be. But that's more a consequence of the extent uh, of our, our coverage being so extensive across different asset classes in
1: different countries. That I was going to say, do you, do you recommend that for, for the, the way you did it? And, and it is probably... The most asked question I used to get when I was with Virgin Startup, and I've been seeing literally—I think I saw over five—helped over five hundred people start their businesses, and it was probably the number one question was about securing IP and stuff. Would you, would you, yeah. uh, kind of looking back now in hindsight, being that wonderful thing, would you recommend the the, the way you, you you went about it and securing that? And it obviously quite a significant investment, I'd imagine, at the time if you're going across multiple asset classes, multiple countries.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a really good question. And we obviously had to prioritise um, at that time. Um, I think with the benefit of hindsight, actually... It was a, it was a right investment to make then because it would probably cost us more money to do it now as a yeah, company yeah, yeah. where we've got to as a business and a brand because you know we do have customers around the world and you know we sell online and forty percent of our online orders come from overseas not you know so sixty percent in the UK so you know we, we have a reach you know we don't have physical presence yet in any other country other than other than uh, the UK and so um, yeah I think my advice. I guess to start up uh, in in a in you know at that stage of their journey is I think what is sensible to do is well I mean you know get get some expert advice for a start you know clearly yeah. Um, yeah. you know I, I regard myself as an expert but I'm clearly <laughs> I'm not but um, <laughs> you have to be really you know you sort of you become you know I feel like I'm an accountant and a lawyer and a you know a, a, a marketeer and a product specialist and you yeah, know I'm I not think- trained in any of those things but obviously you. Um, develop knowledge for experience. But I think if, if it's, say, I don't know, for instance, it might be different in a, if it's, say, a piece of tech or there's a, a, a genuine sort of invention there, then I think that's really important to protect because, you know, it's really easy for somebody probably just to steal or copy that idea. Um, in, our, in, in our instance, it was more about protecting the name, the name Shackleton, preventing other people from being able to use it um whether it be you know in a different asset class or a different country and so but also you know i i think what is important as well is that we feel a real sense of um so you know shackleton died in 1922 so almost 100 years ago and we feel that actually we're sort of at the midpoint of say a 200 year journey here that you know we are you know where where, where does shackleton the man himself, you know, and Shackleton, the business, the brand that we're building, well, in a hundred years time, what does that look like? And so, I, love I that. think that, you mm. know, the recognising of connecting the past with the future and is really important. So I, I think that, you know, we had this real sense, I guess, of responsibility and obligation to just be very careful about how we used how we use the name, you know, and, you know, were we just going to be plastering, you know, prints of Shackleton on T-shirts and baseball caps? No, no, that was, that, that's net, absolutely not because we just didn't feel that was the right thing to do. And I mean, you know, you may not know this and probably lots of people don't, but Shackleton, there's there's a crater at the South Pole of the Moon called Shackleton, named after Sir and Shackleton. You know, our mm. brand exists on the Moon. Mm. In fact, there's a crater on Mars called Endurance after Shackleton's Endurance expedition, and so he's already represented, in some sense, already in the future. You know, mm. he's already his name is synonymous with. Um, in fact, what is actually really intriguing about Shackleton crater is that there are millions of would you say cubic tons when it in the, in the context of ice? I probably would. Would you? I don't know. Cubic mm. tons of ice, which there's an American guy who's convinced that that ice can be mined to create fuel. The, the, the thing that restricts universe exploration, or the known universe, exploring the known universe, is the cost of getting out of the gravitational pull of the Earth's atmosphere. It mm. is so huge that by the time you've got out of the gravitational pull, you've, you, there's no money left to then go and explore space. And so yeah. he's got this idea of creating a fuel station, basically, on the moon. Because it's, you know he, he the, the, then allows you, as long as you can get to the moon, you can then go off and explore. Yeah. Apparently, the cost of exploring, I, you know, he's obviously a much smarter guy than I am, but the cost of exploring um, the known universe is equal to the cost of getting out of the gravitational pull of the planet. But the mm. only thing that restricts you is carrying the, enough fuel that far. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah, yeah. So where I'm going with this is, this This is actually in Shackleton, and so, as in Shackleton Crater. And so, you know, as a business, you know, and as a leader of, uh, of, of Shackleton, the brand, that we, d- I do have that sense of, this has to outlive me, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be alive in 100 years' time. You know, hopefully, I'll be alive in 50 years' time, but you know, I certainly won't be in 100 years' time. But so, what? What are we doing? What it? it we want to pass something on that is that has meaning and resonates with people, and that is as modern in 50 years' time as it is today, and all that that type of stuff. And so, mm. in some ways, it sort of makes it easier for us because we have a very sort of high level way of thinking about it, and of course you get dragged down in day-to-day issues around, you know, product supply or, you know, customer service issues or, you know, team issue, you know, you, of course you do, you know, and just constant challenges. And sometimes it is very, very difficult to sort of lift your head up and and see the bigger picture. But, you know, we try, we try and do it from time to time, you know, especially when it gets a bit stressful, (laughs) try and take a bit of a backward step and just go, you know, what is it we're trying to do here? What's the big picture? And, you know, Oh, are we on, are we on track? You know, it's, are we on, are we still on the right journey? Yeah. You know, that's what I, I, I
1: love that idea that, you know, the mantra being, you know, t- to inspire people to live more courageous lives. And the, the first products, I, the, the clothing brand for, again, for, for want of a better word is just one way of doing that. And all the, the time, you know, six, seven, eight years, except you You've had that idea that we can also do, This, this, and this that's going to help people live more courageous lives just happens to be right here and now. We're focused on getting this to where you want it to to get to, positioning in the the market, et cetera.
0: Yeah, it's we had to start somewhere, um, clearly. And, and, I, there is an obvious connection with shackleton the man with clothing, you know, those great images that Frank Hurley took, you know, the guys stood on the ice and mm. hands on hips looking at a crushed ship and just saying, you know, how are we gonna go home? How are we gonna get home, boss? You know, and they're wearing knitwear and outerwear. And, you know, there was a connection with British brands back then. Um Shackleton wore Burberry. So the the the, the cloth that ah, we used know that. They, yeah, yeah. yeah well well actually it was it's not it wasn't actually Burberry in the sense of you know, he walked into a Burberry store and bought an item of clothing. Basically, Thomas Burberry had invented a a cloth called gabardine, which was effectively 100% cotton. But at that time, it was the the most technically advanced material on planet Earth. And so Mm. Shackleton needed to wear something that was going to help him, you know, get to the South Pole. And and so... um, so there's, ob- there's an obvious connection there, and Jaeger as well, and there's uh, in terms of our knitwear. So there's an obvious connection there with you know Shackleton the man and clothing, Shackleton the brand and clothing. Um, so we had to start there. We felt we should really start with menswear. You know, we do have plans, you know, to do womenswear and expand, um, you know, across that. But th- that won't be for a while. We've got to we've got to get this right first. Um, and so, you know, that that was. The, I guess just the sort of the jump-off point, but who knows? You know, in fifty years' time, we might be a—I don't know—we we we could be about space, space exploration, and that's yeah. that's the exciting thing here. Is I think that what is so great about so we could have gone another direction. We could have said, okay, you know, let's show images of Shackleton has his men hundred years ago, and let's just create product that looks like the product that they wore then, and. You know, dress dress people like a, you know Edwardian slash Victorian explorers. But actually, what we're trying to do, and and you know, and, and it's been a it has been a an new evolution. And it has been hard work, but I think next the next eighteen months we're going to see a significant move forward in terms of our product. Is that we're now very much focusing on sustainability, um, very much on using mate- uh, materials that are recycled or recyclable. Um, I saw that with your fur down, like the. Yeah, so we remove fur, we don't use fur, um, but also, you know, using interesting and innovative fabrics as well, um, and also interesting ways of engineering products. You know, so our kind of ambition now really from a business point of view, let's say business rather than say brand here, from a business Mm -hmm. point of view is to be, you know, world's leading luxury, sustainable, high performance clothing brand. Um, And we, we, you know, we're on that journey. And so, know it's it's a it is a lot of hard work and we're learning an awful lot as we go along but we've made some big big decisions really since actually the start of uh the the pandemic where we've had a bit of breathing room just to think through exactly what type of a business you know we want to be and so we're now working with very reputable and very very well-known people in the industry that really understand um, you know what sustainability actually means you know not just from a, in a product point of view but also in supply chain um, and materials and so so rather exciting actually we're launching a jacket uh, on the 5th of January called the Protector Parker and it's made from 100% um, so the material the body of the jacket itself is made from um, reclaimed ocean plastics. Ah, and,
1: interesting yeah, yeah
0: okay. it's, it's a big step forward for us because one of the challenges we also have is because we are trying to combine high performance, genuine performance, with refinement and style and you know luxury, is that actually do, do you compromise on performance for mm. recycled fabric versus you know a high performance which might not be a recycled fabric or recyclable? And so mm. actually you know the, the 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 last two three years we've seen you know big strides actually in the performance capability of sustainable um materials and so that's that's good for us the timing is is great and so we're launching this product and we're working with blue marine foundation um and blue marine foundation campaign to protect certain areas of um of the planet's oceans and so one of their big focuses right now is down in Antarctica. So basically, the whole the whole sea that surrounds Antarctica. But what's interesting for us Shackleton is that one of the areas is where Shackleton ship the Endurance. It, it is sat on the seabed of the Weddell Sea, mm. um, and so it, it's just a great way of connecting the man Shackleton with his past and his history. Shackleton, the brand, the business, our products, um, our you know, establishing our sustainability credentials and, you know, us wanting um, to build a brand that has much more meaning and purpose than, you know, just, just a business. And so working with Blooming Foundation is great because, you know, and, and and we're going to be attempting a world's first expedition next year, actually. Um, I won't give too much, too many details away just yet, but it will be world's first and it is based in that part of the world. But it will be connecting, campaigning to protect, that That part of that ocean um, for the benefit of the the world's oceans, because what's happening down there is having such a damaging an effect not just in that region but the knock on effects for the health of the seas around the the world is, is significant and so mm-hmm. um, and so we're connecting that with Blue Marine Foundation uh, the United nations um, and basically other countries that you know we're working together with to um, to, to I, I guess bring the the world's attention to this issue and I think you know, Antarctica or let's say the polar regions, um, you know, whether that be Arctic or Antarctica are are sort of synonymous with what people in their own minds think of as the impact of global warming and the environment because, you know, melting ice caps and, you know, Mm. rising sea levels and all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, that's, that's really exciting. But that's, I think, one of our challenges is how do we connect brand through product to the audience so it all makes sense? Because it's very easy to say Shackleton was a pioneer, he was about courage, and, you know, that's what we represent as a brand, and that's who you are as a person. But mm. you've, got to, you've got to demonstrate that through product. And something else that we, we launched this year, which is really exciting, and unfortunately it's it's been cur- curtailed as a consequence of um, travel restrictions, but we launched um, – Mini um, polar expeditions um, in May, um, and our first trips are going to be in and northern Norway, in March next year, which is where Shackleton and Scott and Amundsen and loads of other polar explorers do a lot of their training in the northern hemisphere. And um, we we sold out; it was amazing. Did you? Yeah, yeah. We take, yeah I get I mean, that if you if you're walking the talk, you know, like you yeah. say, if you're trying to
1: connect the business and the brands, and you yeah. know, the, the 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 man with you know the customer, if you can, you know. Uh, for one of the cliches, actually taking people on a journey, a physical journey, as well as most brands don't actually get to do that, do they? Or they don't think of doing that. But I think if you're taking people through that whole process, and here is the the products that you can buy as well, I, I totally get that. I'm I'm amazed more
0: businesses don't do that. Yeah, yeah. We, we we decided quite early on actually that this was always going to be part of the plan. We brought it forward actually probably by about. 12 months actually as a consequence of the outbreak of the pandemic because we felt as though actually still reminding people that there's a world out there yes you're stuck in home or you're stuck in you know your streets or you know your town or wherever it might be but you know this this won't last forever um the world might be different when we come out of it people might live their lives differently and consume differently and that type of stuff but one thing that I think um, we, we were starting to see the trend of, anyway, pre-pandemic, but I think we've come out of it, will accelerate, is this absolute desire and appetite that people want to spend time and money having experiences you know yes. it's it, when I was growing up I think my sort of parents generation were obsessed with status and material and what mm-hmm. car you drive and what house you live in and do you have a driveway do you have a garage Do you have two double garage? you know all that type of stuff and I think yes change well, people are less worried about that people are mm. more worried about experience and And so I think actually as a brand, um, what's really important certainly as a young brand and a grown brand, you know, an ambitious, and one that's actually 100% consumer focused um, is giving people the opportunity to experience what we're talking about. And so, you know, so actually, so Lou Rudd, our director of expeditions, who's, you know, 27 years full-time SAS, he's a record-breaking polar explorer. There's no guy on planet Earth better than him to lead you on these 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 expeditions you know you're in safe hands and so as a brand you can come to us and say okay i can buy the kit i can have the experience i can talk to somebody who's been there done that you know and it sort of completes i guess the overall customer um i guess customer experience and also connects with the brand's that you know, in an emotional way and in a kind of an experiential way, that um, that's just we th- I, we just, you know, really honestly believe is really really important. And um, anyway, and and so you know, we've been nominated actually for um, a travel industry award already. We haven't even done these yet. We had a, we, <laughs> Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we did a test run uh, earlier this year. Actually, went so it just went brilliantly well. But. Yeah, but so we're really, really excited about it. Our, our guests are super excited. Unfortunately, we just had to tell them this week that because of um, travel restrictions and um, quarantining and all that sort of stuff, that it looks like we're going to have to either cut the number down or or at the very least, you know, transfer Shit. Yeah, to the yeah. final. Yeah, but but mm. so we'll grow that part of the business as we go forward as well. And as we introduce, broaden our product range into different seasons... know what we'll look to do is, you know, offer experiences in in different parts of the world, you know, different Mm -hmm. environments. But it's what we're not trying to do here is um, replicate what's been done before. We're trying to offer unique experiences um, that Mm. you know do genuinely mean something. Um, And um, yeah, yeah, so it's great, it's exciting to see where that will go. I mean, who knows? But um, it's it's an important important part of the business going forward. I'll, I'll be bang up for doing something like that, given
1: what's happened to me in the last 18 months, for sure. Well, there you
0: go. There you go. <laughs> this is why jumping in the sea at 7 a.m. and, and training for a marathon becomes really important. Because, you know, Indeed. Well have got the
1: up, to do it. finish up on one of these things. Um, when you're talking about the new product, the new jacket that you're launching um, in, in January, um, it, it reminded me of the, you know, it's almost like a rite of passage. Now, anyone who joins our our swim group, you know, if they do however many sessions, they then feel they have to buy some kit. So it's buying like one of these big dry robes, you know, oh, yes. that you can yeah. have on. And um, the interesting thing is that we've all bought a different brand and there's only about three or four brands out there who actually produce these and some of them you literally look like, you know, if it comes near a flame, you would go up in 0.3 seconds. <laughs> yeah. and, and one of the boys who who's a surfer who's who's worked uh, with with his agency before he's worked with, uh, a, a bunch of these, you know, surfing brands. Um, and he got one and it's, it was made by some surf dude, Charlie, somebody, I can't remember the surname that's it's on the back of the jacket, but it's made with something like 250 plastic bottles or something like that. And it was, you know, yeah, was a little bit more of a premium price, but I just think something like that, you're far more likely, if, if you're doing what we do to resonate with and, and pay that to, to embrace you know what, he's trying to articulate by doing that instead of just going, Yeah, we can make one of these for, for 50 quid instead, but it's made out yeah. of a bunch of bin liners, basically. <laughs> and I wondered, is that something that you thought of doing an, a, an article, uh, an item of clothing like that? Because I've seen that like, my cousins, my, sorry, my, my nephews are, are rowers, they all row for like Team GB and stuff, and they've yeah. all got them. And then I see that like the rugby crags, I'm big into my rugby. They've all got these jackets yeah, as well. And I just sure. thought, is that something like performance clothing that you've actually thought about bringing out?
0: Yeah, absolutely, we have, actually. And interestingly, we've, we've prototyped a couple of that that that, that type of products. what ah. we sort of call, yeah, we never settled on a, on a sort of a name for it, but this idea that whatever it is you've just done the thing you put on when you finish, whether it be rowing, whether it be, you know, surfing or jumping out, you know, cold water swimming, you put the Shackleton on and it shields you yeah. from the It shields you. And so we I had like this that. idea of, I don't know if you see it all the time with sports sports uh, people, don't you, that, you know, you know, they win, win with our center course and the first thing they do is put a Rolex watch on because, you know, <laughs> and, and, and so, so and Rolex, the brand becomes associated with success, you know, yeah. and performance and precision and all those sort of things. And so, we we we'd had this idea, but just touching on your point actually around you know cost price and um, you know the materials and things, and and a little bit like what we were talking earlier in terms of you know society conditioning the way people behave, is that consumers have been totally conditioned by buying product that is just cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, you know buying when it's discounted, you know things like you know Black Friday and that type of stuff, and the the consumer now thinks that. If you can buy a T-shirt for £5, why would I buy one for £40 if they they are exactly the same? Yeah. In reality, they're not exactly the same. Mm. The journey that T-shirt has been on, the materials that have been used, the, the people that have handled that T-shirt is hugely different. And I think we've lost one of my frustrations with, with, um, with say, Shackleton is that trying to get the audience to understand that – if you break down a product all the way back to, you know, it's, you know, if you disassemble it, you, you, you all the way, but you take each individual thing, you know, there might be, for instance, 150 components that go into one of our, our, our jackets. You think about, all the people on planet Earth that have maybe handled those, and the love and affection, and craftsmanship, and knowledge, and expertise that has gone in to making that, and then you bring those, you bring those components together, and then you make this jacket. And you know, we make our jackets um, in the UK and Italy, you know, with expensive materials, with expensive labour, um, well engineered, incredibly engineered, um, you know, made to last a lifetime. And therefore, there's a price point, you know, and yeah. so you yeah. could go for argument's sake, and I won't name other brands, but you could go into lots of other brands and buy, let's say, a downfield jacket for I don't know, maybe 150 pounds, let's say, mm-hmm. and they say, well, why, why would I buy a Shackleton downfield jacket for 650 pounds? Well. For a start, it performs much better anyway because you know it, we've tested in Antarctica. The quality of the materials that go into it will able, enable it to withstand say minus twenty rather than you know plus five five degrees. Mm. But most critically is that it's the craftsmanship and the love and the care and the attention that has gone into every single component part. All that comes with a price. Yeah. But yeah. what you get as a product though is a product for life. Therefore, it is an investment, and therefore. You you know you can wear it. so take our Parker for instance the one we're launching with um, you know the protector Parker. When you put that on, you know that this is you know it, it's bottles have been taken out of the ocean, recycled into this fabric. Create you know and so you're 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 not just buying a jacket to wear to keep you warm you're buying something that in some sense is actually connecting you to a much bigger purpose around how you want to get, you know, you know, and and so, you know, your friends Mm. down, you know, down on the beach and pool is a great example. And so, you know, people just go, well, I'll buy the 45 pound one because I'm being told that that will do the same as the 90 pound one, for instance. But actually in reality, the 90 pound one's got a different story. You know, Mm. it's come on a different journey. And so actually spending the extra money, even if it maybe is a stretch, one, it might last longer, two, you'll probably look after it a bit more because it's cost you more money. True. Three, actually, the 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 sort of your contribution to limiting, say, the damage somewhere else in the supply chain is far more considerable buying that jacket than the other one. And so try and but I think we're getting there. Actually, I think actually the younger generation—say uh, the younger generation—but you know anyone that's sort of age between, <clears throat> let's say, like my children's age, you know, and they're sort of um, you know sort of between five and fifteen, but all the way through to say thirty, and, you know, are thinking much more like this about conscious consumption, about mm. the health of the planet, the impact your decision has, whether it be for argument's sake. I mean, you know, veganism has gone through the roof, hasn't it, in the last nine mm. months? And and that's actually what used to be very directly associated with animal welfare um, is actually now more associated, you know, with impact on the world. You know, you know, clearing of rainforests, you know, mm. and forests, and you know the, you know, you know, c- you know, carbon emissions, and all those type of things that actually now people are starting to look at their plate of food and say, actually you know, I, I, I don't want to eat this anymore because it, that's having an impact somewhere on the mm. planet. And so, and I think we're going through, I mean, I think the trends were starting to emerge pre-pandemic, but I think they've just really accelerated. And I think that what's interesting now, people um, at all price points, not just at the you know premium to luxury end of the market, but at all price points are now starting to say, actually, I want to buy a jacket that's going to last 10 years, not a season. I yeah. don't want to throw it away. I want to fix it, you know, and so... Um, you know, that's that's our absolute focus is therefore to create products. You know, right now it is in clothing, but, you know, who knows, might be luggage one day, footwear, eyewear, who knows, ships and rockets. But um, is, you know, it, it you know, it's the best thing, you know, best products, you know, that's loved yeah. and nurtured and, and brought alive through a lot of, you know, hard work and craftsmanship and knowledge that is expensive. You know, it comes with a price.
1: Yeah, and it, it makes you wonder where that, so, so, that throwaway society actually came from because again I've em- employed people recently have all come straight from like the local university and they'll be making decisions on not just what they're buying but who they want to work for those yes. kinds of things based on exactly what we've been talking about and I, I saw just last night David Goggins who I, I'm, I'm sure you, you're probably aware it's, of uh, yeah. Yeah, um, up about you know people ripping off his uh, merchandise and you know okay selling it, you know, a, a fraction of the cost, uh, you know, and those kinds of stories, which was which yeah. was interesting. And it, again, it was something we talked about a great length when I when I spoke to Rowena Bird from Lush and that whole, you know, packaging issue that, that they have where you buy a bar of soap and it would come wrapped in plastic and then a piece of cardboard. And you're just like, yes. well, what's the point of that? But now they had a, a ship actually come in from Portugal to Pool Harbour with cork. And it's literally just like it just spits into a piece of cork and that's there for life it's you know literally forever so um yeah. no i love that idea i, I wish you'd been in a conversation i had with my wife then when i was choosing my snowboard jacket last uh, <laughs> last january and trying to, to to convince her that it was an investment and this is why i was going for this much thicker material and the materials are x y and z so um yeah i, yeah. I totally get it <laughs>
0: yeah no, i mean it is interesting it'll be interesting to see what happens really when um when we get through this, but I do, I, I do sense a sort of um, an undercurrent of change, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, I, I think you know, credit where credit's due to sort of the big, you know, the big corporates. You know, they've and you know they've had a bit of a tough run the last five or ten years, and whether that be avoiding paying tax, whether it be yeah, yeah. issues around you know how people are treated in the supply chain, and so and so rightly so, people have started, you know, have stepped up, and I think. It's been quite easy up until recently for the the you know the big corporations to sort of brush that criticism aside and say, well, we, we know you'll still come and buy our trainers. We know you'll still come and drink yeah. our coffee. We'll know you'll still log on to Facebook. But I think what's really starting to happen now, though, is that actually they're starting to recognize that they have social responsibility and social obligation to actually yeah. realize that you know, the consumer is now starting to get fed up. And they are starting to make decisions. And there are brands that are starting to emerge that actually offer a better alternative. And mm-hmm. and so, you know, you sort of, you see it, uh, you know, I think quite recently, uh, was it last week, the news that the supermarkets are going to repay, um, you know, the, the government, the business relief that they benefited yeah. from. So, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. now, they, you know, it's absolutely the right thing to do. And they probably shouldn't get that much credit for it. That yeah, said, yeah, though, yeah. That said, though, you know, they are, Holding their hands up and saying, Look, actually, we don't, we don't, we turns out we didn't need it. Mm. You know, we, 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 at the time, nine months ago, who knew what the world was going to be? But they've benefited enormously from people being at home and spending more money on food and that, you know, their, their profits are up. And so, actually, you know, say, so, Well, at least I started to recognize that, you know, rather than giving that to the shareholders, they're going to give that back to the you know the consumer via the taxpayer and, yeah. and you know hopefully that money can then be used in other areas of the economy that that have been negatively affected you know such as hospitality let's say and so mm. you know I think it, it's I think the consumer this is the era of the consumer we're moving into actually I think this is where and then this is why it's super crucial bring it back to Shackleton that we have to absolutely recognize that you know, our, our consumer, our audience, the people that buy our products and services, they they, are, they run the business. They're number one. You know, mm-hmm. we're here. We're here to sort of serve them uh, in some sense and find a way of doing it brilliantly that they love and they they can really, um, you know, really resonate with people. And so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how things play out in the next few years. But I think slowly people become a bit more conditioned to actually understanding price points mean yeah. something.
1: Well, look, um, Ian Holcroft, I've already taken up far too much of your time, and didn't even get to uh, to dive into your um, ocean crossing. I want to dive into like talk about running marathons in more extreme conditions, and I've done them. But um, like I said, taking up too much of your time. It's a it's a Friday afternoon that we're recording, so um, <laughs> I, w- I will let you scoot off. But um, we'd love to keep in touch and um, do keep me posted um, about what's happening uh, towards the end of January. Maybe you can share a little bit now. Um, about what your plans are for January following the launch of the the new jacket as well
0: sure yeah absolutely well first of all it's been an absolute pleasure I've really enjoyed the conversation I, I, I could probably talk all afternoon the I know talks. me too <laughs> Whether it's a Friday afternoon or any other afternoon, but um, yeah, I mean, it's um, yeah. I mean, I did warn you. I have a tendency to waffle a, a little, but um, oh, yeah. That. So, so end of January. So, I, I, we talked a little bit earlier about our partnership with Blue Marine Foundation and mm. our um, our connection with Antarctica, uh, you know, through through Shackleton and um, through what we want to do as a brand. And so, we're very much on a mission to highlight, you know, the damage that's being caused, you know, globally. And a lot of that is coming from what's been done in Antarctica. But unfortunately, this year, so the Antarctic season um, tends to run from sort of November-ish through to February-ish, because that's, you get three or four months of daylight. Aside from that, it's sort of minus 70 degrees and complete darkness. And so there are very few people who operate on the entire continent. So there's a few research scientists at the Scott Amundsen um, Polar Research Centre, which is at the South Pole. Mm-hmm. Um, so the season, though, you probably get about thirty to 40,000 visitors to Antarctica each year, you know, on cruise ships and people that are going on um, expeditions um, and that type of stuff. And so, what well, because it's closed, because of coronavirus, nobody can get there. Um, we're going to bring Antarctica to, to the Northern Hemisphere. So at um, wow. the end of January, we're going to have Antarctica Week. Um, we're going to have a series of events, um, which, as things stand, because they might be virtual as opposed to... Um, physical, but from our store um on the King's Road in Chelsea, which we opened last week, we're gonna have we're gonna connect with Scott Amundson Research Center, we're gonna talk to scientists, researchers, we're gonna talk to polar explorers, um, you know, we're gonna talk to environmental scientists and all that type of stuff. So we're gonna bring a bit of Antarctica into into Southwest London. And so um that's January 25th to 31st. So yeah, do follow us on our you know our social media feeds and go onto our website, shackletonlondon.com to find out more information. And so yeah, we're really looking forward to that. You know, that's going to be great. And um, yeah, it's um, yeah, an exciting thing to do. And that connects quite nicely with, you know, our product as well, the, the Protector Parker, which we'll launch in 5th of January.
1: Brilliant. Um,
0: well, look, thank, thank you very much indeed.
1: So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As I said, we could have got on for hours and hours, but we had to call it a day. We both had to crack on. I think it was a Friday um, that uh, we recorded that. So um, I love this idea of building a business from an idea that connects the past, the present and the future. And the fact that you've got this huge vision that you just, you know, you come to the conclusion that... um, you're here to inspire people to live more courageous lives. I love that it's it's so big, it's so big. Um, and there is so much scope within that that um, my mind runs rampant at, at, at the thought of it you know and, and those thoughts that you know hey, we could be putting rockets in space, uh, we could be making uh, winter jackets, you know um, for, for expeditions, we could be making sunglasses, you know w- what could we do? Um, and it's then you know focusing on that one thing now, but having that you know one hundred year vision. I mean, I've never heard anyone speak like that before, so that was really really powerful for me. and you know, I'm a massive history buff, I'm a big bookworm, um reading a book on the Caesars at the moment, so I love this idea of you know connecting um the past, the present, and and the future. That's what's really stuck with me for that. And I just thought, you know, is there anything we can all do to tie that together? You know, our vision of the future, you know, what we're doing now, and is there something in the past that ties all that together? You know, uh, as we, as we know, you know, your brand, your marketing is all about telling your story. This podcast tells the stories of different businesses, different brands, different individuals, um, you know, have they decided to screw it, just do it and, and, start a company or go and do something extraordinary so i, I just want to speak on one point and and that's it that is my one point today that i want to bring attention to is there something that you can reach to in the in the past to weave into your story to make it uh, more engaging to make it pop out more of people um, so they can resonate with your message and really buy into you and your brand If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this with zero experience, zero knowledge and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com where I've just launched for a limited number of people, brand new podcast membership Course, So you'll get access to my Ultimate Podcast Mastery Membership course, you'll get my digital workbook, my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all the nitty-gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts the Podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat. And entry to my private Facebook group as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people so once it's gone it's gone but if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the Screw It, Just Do It hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page,